Hi, welcome to In the Blue Corner. I'm Adam Bellos, the founder of the Israel Innovation Fund. I'm here with David Hizoni, our executive director. We are in Labs Tel Aviv. 59th floor. On the 59th floor. Did you see the view? I saw the view. This is In the Blue Corner, and we're here with Ezi Rappaport, the founder and CEO of Empower Africa. Who has created something incredible. Very unique. Tell us about what you're doing. Yeah, so we're actually just at the beginning stages of this whole mission and great company that What's we're the building over here. Well, the mission is to uh, really accelerate empowerment by driving business in Africa. We're really sensitive and aware of the current situation in Africa that uh, there's 1.3 billion people living on the continent today. Over 600 million of them still living without water and electricity and extreme poverty. And that these people have tremendous potential and opportunity and are gonna play a very influential role in the future of this great, great world. And it's up to us to really be sensitive, be aware of that and connect with these people. You know, we're so blessed here. We're living in Israel. Our grandparents, 70 years ago, going through the Holocaust, would never even imagine the blessings and the miracle that we live in today. And the real mission is to really, really appreciate what we have, appreciate our blessings and the positive impact that we could have just by connecting and working with people in Africa on the ground as partners, not as givers and receivers looking at Africa maybe in a negative way, wars and poverty and so forth and alleviating poverty, which is very important, but how do we take a very positive approach to the opportunities on the continent and to the people and their potential? I'd like to ask you a question. Would you say in a one sentence pitch that you're an innovation or business development hub for future business in Africa? Yes, I mean, we're all about driving human connections between So your business is business development? Yes. Local companies, grassroots, leaders of government. We are three business models to empower Africa. And I want to mention we are a values-driven business. We are not a nonprofit, which we will. We are looking to open a foundation as well. But we believe in trade over aid, that people could create more value when they're investing in each other, when they're enhancing trade, and when they have a job. So we have three business models to help Africa succeed and to help the world succeed. Um, the first thing is a, the Empower Africa business platform. Is at empowerafrica.com. Very exciting. Uh, the second thing is we're doing international events and trade missions. What's the average budget for an event? The average budget for an event, it could run from 10 to about maybe a few hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on how much preparation is necessary. We did events, uh, driving business in Africa events in Israel, in the United Kingdom, and in the U.S. We look at doing these uh, events to really create more visibility um, of all the different companies in these markets that are already doing development in Africa and really connecting them, see how we can build partnership relationships in these ecosystems around the world that are operating and that do have businesses in Africa and see how we could bring more thought leaders and more opportunities to these companies. Um, So we're really looking at three main international markets, um, which is Israel, the United Kingdom and the US at this stage. And another type of event are trade missions. So we're bringing different leading experts from around the world in sectors that support um, empowerment and human capital development. And one of those sectors is agriculture. Agriculture is going to be the engine for economic growth in Africa. Tremendous potential. And an example of event is that we went down to Sierra Leone 
which is our flagship country uh, that we're working on now. We met with the local government, with the leaders of the private sector, and we, to understand the challenges, outlined some opportunities, and then we brought nine leading companies from around the world in the agriculture sector to the country. Now, this is hundreds of thousands of dollars we have to prep up, uh, multiple trips, making sure we're navigating the local environment, doing all the stakeholder engagement, and we had a jam-packed three days um, where these international companies, some of them multi-billion dollars companies, some of them very innovative young Israeli companies, and they basically had the opportunity to meet all the local stakeholders and really identify some good business uh, potential. So, that's so why another... Sierra Leone? What's the fo- why, why is there a focus there? Yeah, so Sierra Leone, that's actually our first real engagement with Africa, my family's engagement. I was pulled in to Africa and uh, Sierra Leone by a number of symbolic occurrences that took place throughout my life. One of them was, it all started with my father actually joining a, a reconciliation mission to Sierra Leone during the Civil War. How old then were you? I was probably about uh, 15. Yeah, it's 1999, born 1984. So he joined a special reconciliation mission that the U.S. government put together in order to help end their 11-year Civil War. Um, that was being fueled primarily by diamonds. And uh, my father and family, we have a company in the with a mission to create ethical, transparent, competitive, and efficient diamond and jewelry markets. That's the mission, you know, a very values-driven organization as well. And that role that we have in also coordinating things with government, the U.S. government asked us to really see how it could help stop the diamonds from fueling this, the rebel movement and this conflict. My father went out there, uh, flew out there on a World Food Program helicopter, met with the rebel leader, uh, went to the amputee camps, took pictures of the amputees, and put the pictures of dead bodies on the front cover of our magazine, the Rapport Magazine, which is the primary source of price and market information to the diamond jewelry industry. And you know, when he was there, he, he, was, he was telling me that we went through the Holocaust. Many people just turned a blind eye. There's no way in hell that we could let this dire condition and uh, situation in uh, Sierra Leone continue. And we have, the diamond industry in the world has to be responsible for what it buys. And we worked very tirelessly with the U.S. government, with U.S. Congress, to introduce something called the Clean Diamond Act, which really jump-started international what regulation. This, this uh, started in 2000. And that uh, was a real driving force to introducing something called the Kimberley Process, which uh, really monitors and controls the uh, flow of the diamonds throughout the world um, to ensure that they are not funding conflicts, specifically in Africa. And that's our first introduction to Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. He asked about Sierra Leone. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I grew up as a, it's a, as a teenager. Per, it's, a, it's a pretty personal connection to a global conflict. You mentioned Sierra Leone. Most of the world never even heard of the country of Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. Most of the world doesn't allocate much time at all to Africa. And that's one of the reasons that we're doing here today is to really let the world know, make sure that it's more in the consciousness around the world and that there's also a positive view on Africa and there's tremendous opportunity and potential specifically for companies that could also play a, a major role in driving impact and helping ensure that this continent really and the people of the continent really could be a contributing force in the world rather than be dependent on aid and so forth for many years to come. You grew up where? I grew up in New York. Where in New York? Until I was 10 years old. In Riverdale. In Riverdale. Yes. Born on the Upper West Side, but quickly moved to Riverdale. Very nice. And your family moved when you were 10 to, to Israel? Yeah, my father and mother uh, moved the family when I was 10 years old. My father, uh, I mean, father, my mother is the, is the real hero there. <laughs> and my father, of course. Uh, but uh, they moved with nine children. My mother was wow. pregnant with the 10th. When did you know that you wanted to throw your life into helping Africa? 
you know, one, they say mitzvah, gerar mitzvah, you know? I grew up uh, observant, and I'm still a very religious person in my, in my purpose, but you know, one good thing just leads a, a, to another, and there were certain t situations, certain t occurrences, like I mentioned, symbolic occurrences that took place um, in Sierra Leone, and I said, just like my father didn't turn a blind eye, we didn't turn a blind eye, during the dire conditions, I became aware of transformation that was taking place and a unique window of opportunity. Was there something that now, happened when you were younger or teenager or 20 years old? or what? Was, was there a moment where you said, no, I'm I, going there? I, the, the moment happened well, about three years ago. I mean, I went to Sierra Leone a few years after the Civil War where we had a rehabilitation program that we were doing together with USAID. I'm helping people back to their villages after the Civil War there. Um, so, of course, I understood a bit more about Africa or met the people um, also as a teenager. But about three years ago, there was a pastor in a village, Pastor Emmanuel Momo, in a village, 200 people, no water, no electricity, no school, a medical facility, a real typical isolated village. And he was in the peanut butter business. So him and his partner are, are buying peanuts, grinding them, selling peanut butter in the neighboring villages in Kono, the Kono district, which was actually one of the headquarters of the rebel movement during the war. And he got a little piece of land out of his village and he was paying five people to dig for diamonds with shells. Very interesting situation. I mean, what happens, there's not a lot of employment there and people work in agriculture a lot, um, but a lot of them are just looking for minerals. Like people look around here in New York and Tel Aviv for like bottles on the street. They're looking okay. for things. Um, so everybody tries their luck and he was, he spent, uh, he was, had five people digging for diamonds and they found the 14th largest diamond ever discovered in history. 709 carat diamond, quite an industrial, lower quality, but very symbolic, very, uh, very large stone. But what's most unique about the situation, diamonds, is what happened with it. The person that found the diamond brought it to the team leader. He didn't pocket it and run away. He brought it to the team leader. The team leader brought it to the pastor. The pastor went to his paramount chief, and the paramount chief brought him to Freetown, to the government, and the pastor gave the diamond to the president and said, we need to trust our government and work with our government to develop the country. This is a very, this is 15 years after the Civil War, very, now people that are not familiar with Sierra Leone or so forth, they don't understand this symbolic occurrence that's taking place. I was running our global trading business at Rappaport, hearing about, uh, we have our news team sitting in the same floor in our company, in our, in our office, in our headquarters in Tel Aviv. And they're, again, they're reporting on everything that's going on in the diamond and jewelry industry. And this comes up, up. Oh, there's a past that found a stone and gave it to the government. And the government said they're going to do an auction. We were transparent. And uh, they tried to auction it. The pastor trusted to sell it through the government. Not many people trusted to buy it. And five people showed up. They auctioned four of them in the same Jeep. For whatever reason, they got some, some bid, which is questionable and they declined to sell it and they said we want to do an international auction so at this point I mean I built from at 22 I started an auction business uh, for the rapper group which is now the largest b2b auction house I said you know what we have this history of the country this is such a symbolic occurrence they failed to sell the diamond they wanted an international auction I'll take uh, some time I don't know these yeah, we haven't been in touch for like 10 years with this government who they are this and that but I said we'll take a few minutes we'll call them Nine times after a couple of times, I'm able to reach the head of the National Minerals Agency, and I say, you know, we have this history with the country or the Rappaport Group, the U.S. We see this is a very symbolic situation. What's what's taking place? Anything you guys need, free of charge, we'll help you do a world tour. We'll help you auction the stone. We want to help you execute on your good intention, because if 
you failed to execute, nobody's gonna trust you again. Finally, this is something happened. So that was my first real engagement after Sierra Leone. We did a international tour. We called it the Peace Diamond and the government issued a proclamation calling it the Peace Diamond. The first reason was to really ensure we get the best price for the stone. And if you tell the story, you create, create intangible value, you get a higher price than just the commodity price. And the second much bigger reason was we wanted to tell the world that Sierra Leone is a peaceful democracy for over 15 years. People never heard of Sierra Leone, most of the world, and many people that heard of it know of it because of the Blood Diamond movie that Leonardo DiCaprio mm -hmm. put out years after the, the Civil War actually ended. So how could you use these symbolic occurrences that are built on trust and unity and really show that Sierra Leone is in a new era and help change that narrative. Um, so that's really how I got into this uh, this whole mission to really drive development again in Sierra Leone. I could keep going on because the story continues, but- well, what, what, Where's that diamond now? So the diamond sold in uh, December 4th, 2017 for a little over six and a half million dollars to Lawrence Graff. Graf Diamonds, which is, I would say, the most prestigious jeweler in the world. He wow. sells to all the billionaires. I would estimate that the diamonds sold for about a little over 20% more than the commodity price. So that was the premium that we're able to achieve. My estimate, my personal estimate, we had hundreds of companies that looked at the stone. He was uh, by far the, the highest bidder. And, uh, and we really had three months three, four months to sell this diamond before an election that was coming up. You know, and you have to understand, this is a national situation. 709 carats, second largest diamond ever discovered in Australia, which diamonds is like what their whole focus has been the big focus of theirs, and it's given to the government. And now they failed to sell it. There's rumors coming up, somebody stole it out of the safe. Some of the other governments corrupted. Every type of rumor that you could imagine is percolating, <laughs> okay? and nobody wants this going through a transition of power and so forth, so we had a major, major push to get this diamond branded and sold um, within a few months uh, before the election uh, took place. And right now, it, I think we finished cutting it and uh, we'll have to see what happens. I don't know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's their diamond, but I, it would be great if it could continue to play a symbolic role in development in Africa. So I wanna read you yes. something you wrote on Facebook. Yes because um, it, it kind of struck a chord with me. True leaders know how to empower people and create diverse unity around an altruistic vision and mission. It's through humility that they absorb inspiration and learn how to follow the lead of others. That's a very complicated, powerful, interesting set of words put together for a CEO of a profitable company. What does that mean and what is your leadership about and why do you talk so differently from the other business people we talk to? One of the things that I ask is what is the meaning of Ezi Rappaport? What is our purpose? What is our meaning? We turn 80 in the blink of an eye, you know, everything's relative, especially time. And uh, I think our purpose is really be a contributing force in the world and really help other people um, succeed. So I'm all about the people. I'm always, I'm all about enhancing other people's happiness and success. And the best way to do that in my view is uh, through business. By giving, as uh, Maimonides says, better to give somebody a job or teach them how to fish than to give them a fish. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but really giving people the opportunity to uh, to succeed. So yeah, I, I'm not, I don't see myself as, a, I'm a businessman. I was I was blessed to get uh, education in, uh, in learning how to scale and build a sustainable self-governed organism. 
that's uh, that's some of the things that I've I've learned how to do. I've proven it in uh, certain aspects. If it's building uh, um, international trading platforms and networks, uh, specifically in the diamond industry. Um, but now I'm I'm very focused on uh, really helping connect some of the poorest people in the world, or the people that have tremendously untapped potential, to um, leaders around the world. So uh, I'm really going all the way to the top, going to everybody: the leaders of the U.S. government, leaders of the biggest companies in the world, uh, the the global influencers and I'm making them aware of a cause and of people on the grassroots and good values-driven companies on the ground that they could create win-win opportunities with. So I would say there's leaders on all fronts, leaders in the grassroots, leaders, uh, global influencers around the world, and I'm looking to uh, really drive empowerment through human connection and doing it in a very sustainable and scalable manner. How do you measure it? How do I measure it? First of all, it's, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. We are, we do have our goals that we set at the beginning of the year. So if it could be a number of events that uh, that we're holding, a number of uh, meetings, matchmaking meetings that we set up throughout the year, um, specific projects that are executed on the ground, it does take time to get things executed in Africa. So it's tough to really measure it by the the actual impact you're seeing within a year and a half, but we're already having significant uh, impact, um, historic impact, I would say, things that never took place in Sierra Leone before. For example, we had a, uh, I just came back from Sierra Leone last month, we had a 2,000 person parade to promote education in the Kono district, where this pastor found this diamond, which is left in isolation. I want you to, we should just understand the situation. Um, Sierra Leone has about 50,000 people that visited a year. This is the in and out, human interaction with the outside world. Not okay? a lot. No, that's not a lot at all. This has to do with government guys, NGOs, private sector, who knows what coming in and out, you know? And this is to, cap- this is for, to Freetown, the capital. How many people make it all the way out, five hour, six hour drive from the capital? You're dealing with human beings that have very limited understanding of the outside world, very limited um, diverse interaction with the outside world, and uh, they need all they do is need a, a little more attention and support. These are people with, some of them are living with hope and determination, many of them, especially the next generation, but really getting out there and promoting education, providing them the hope and the direction that we could create more value with our minds and talent than the minerals we're extracting from the ground. And that there are there is attention, the government's working to provide great education. Um, there's international um, organizations that are, are, are now focused on going with you hand in hand to create a better future together. Um, so this is, I mean, there's a lot of historic occurrences that, and events that we are working on that we will see the fruits of a lot of the seeds that we're planting in probably two to three years' time. Um, but we are determined on the long-term uh, opportunities and potential. Give me a brief idea of what you want to see five years from now that Empower Africa has accomplished. The Empower Africa business platform is going to be the central platform connecting all the leaders driving development in Africa from private sector to NGOs to government. This visibility and exposure of the opportunities is gonna attract people from all over the world. We're gonna enhance significant awareness globally and the ability for the international community to support local entrepreneurs, local businesses, and partner with them. And are, so are you, that is, are you that working is, with the Chinese at all? China is the factory of the world uh, today and they need minerals to feed their factory. So. Of course, China showed up. Um, I wouldn't say the the first. You know, the U.S. Is no, they're not the first, but they have probably yeah. the largest presence. Yes, yes. So the U.S. was there, um, and, and many European countries 
on the humanitarian front. Right. Again, aid programs and so forth. But China came in as a business. And they said, we need these minerals to feed our factory. We need to ensure that our people in China have good jobs. And they, they're looking at Africa also as a strategic consumer market. Mm -hmm. they, are, they are very organized and very long-term oriented. And they are looking really at Africa as a consumer market. We, have to, we should understand. What, like 75, 100 years from now? No, 20 years, 10 years from now. You know, we should understand Africa, um, their GDP grew over 400% in the past 15 years, okay? These people are getting on water and electricity faster than people could imagine. They're, although half the population approximately creates under $2 a day today, they're going to start producing or, or making $10, $20, $50, a day, or some of them $1,000 a day. The middle class is going to be growing in Africa. It may take some time, but they're seeing the tremendous potential. And now the U.S., because China took such an aggressive or you know, such a, a large um, role now in, in positioning itself on the continent, there's a lot of other governments that are quite reactive to that and Africa is now on the national security list in the United States so the fear factor you know the human race is very <laughs> reactive to the negative or you know, the potential risk and there's a lot of international governments international a lot of governments around the world that are now increasing their attention on Africa significantly in reaction to China um, yes China has taken over many mining rights and ports very uh, critical assets in different countries um, so justifiably so, these, these governments are reacting to that. But I think I'm hopeful that in the years to come, we'll see a lot of unity being built, a lot of collaboration between different governments in order to support not just humanitarian work in Africa, but to really help these, these people um, and these countries stand on their own two feet. And uh, I think Africa is going to be a uniting force for many different uh, organizations and countries around the world, which I'm hopeful, very hopeful for. But now where there's definitely a negative reaction take, taking place, and I would say also people take sides. They like to take sides. That's what unites them sometimes, you know? I'm a human race guy. We're all living beings. We're all born with zero consciousness. We're all born to be happy and do good. I don't see Chinese as bad people or Arabs or Muslims as bad people. We're all beautiful people. And we could all create more value by working together. We have to have mutual respect. We have to have positive communication. We can't hold grudges. That's a very basic lesson so, I learned at So Africa. let's talk about grudges. So, yeah. What's the core challenge that has plagued Africa? Yeah, so first of all, I want to be humble over here. I'm not the biggest expert on Africa. I wouldn't say I'm even an expert on Africa. It's 54 countries. It's, uh, there's many, you know, diversity. There's an advantage to that. And there's also, um, you know, put, putting the pieces together is also a challenge. Um, so, but that really doesn't, but it doesn't matter if you're an expert or not. Yeah. It doesn't because you're out there doing. So. Yes, I'm, I'm definitely taking a leadership role in certain initiatives and so forth. So yes. what, what do you feel, if I'm correct, is your biggest impact that you are going to be making in changing the way not only Africa has been seen, but the common problems that it's also known for? Unleashing the tremendous potential that Africans have to play a contributing role in this world. What has kept them from unleashing that up till now, before you came up? Many different things. Um, it could be the opaqueness the transparency of what's taking place in Africa and its very complex environment. It could be the poverty that many people are living in. You're living in very reactive survival mode. Not everybody, but many people. It could be um, corruption that, uh, is, that, that uh, does exist in many countries, specifically at the leadership of many countries, which also increases a lack of trust or lack of interest from good partners and good people around the world that would like to have an impact. So I would say there's, 
tremendous potential in the people in Africa, many of them much smarter and more capable than myself for us sitting in this room, that are just left in the dark without the right relationships and opportunities to be a major contributing force in this world. And one of the things that empower Africa, our real, real core uh, focus is really to drive ethical and transparent training. So first of all, create that positive awareness around the world about Africa. It's not a negative, corrupt, war-torn continent. It's a very fragmented continent, and there's many different countries and leaders and initiatives taking place that are historic and that people could succeed and do good at the same time. International companies can succeed, be very successful, doing amazing things, groundbreaking, impactful work on the continent. So creating that awareness, creating a platform and a channel for them to actually do something, impact and, and do good. And uh, I would say building that trust and building those human relationships, enhancing diverse interaction between Africa and the world in order to maximize um, the value that could be created. Power Africa is all about driving coordination to maximize results. Diverse, between many different diverse um, things. Our, our values are established on integrity, unity, and diversity. If we have integrity, we could create unity. If we have unity, we could bring diverse experts from all over the world and we could maximize the value that we can create together. And I would say also, one other thing I would say, besides the actual impact and life-saving and you know amazing stuff where we want to do with the people in Africa, we really want to set a global example and to show that we can create more value through together by appreciating our diversity. And I also think that, you know, while I go to Africa and I think like an African and say, what's best for us here in Sierra Leone? And we're going to be expanding this year. Our plans are to expand to Botswana and Rwanda, another mm -hmm. two amazing countries. And we want to think, what's best for Rwanda? What's, better, what's best for Botswana? So I'm not coming from an outside nationalistic or religious or any other agenda. I'm coming as a humanitarian and as a human being and through business uh, mind. And that being said, I do feel that Israel has a unique and significant role that it could play in driving development in Africa. What? First of all, I don't believe there's any coincidence, but it just so happens to be Israel is the only physical land, you know, to walking out of Africa. Israel is right on the border. You're connect Africa connects to the Middle East, to Europe, to the rest of the world through Israel. We actually were in Africa. We were slaves in Africa. We believe in uh, Judaism and so forth. In Egypt, you know? And uh, we were in Africa. We got to Israel. Um, so it's just a very interesting uh, evolution well, what, over here. What about but, Israelis? But Israel today is uh, a very innovative country. They have technologies that, uh, that are transforming uh, sectors all around the world, specifically in healthcare and education and agriculture, in many different uh, critical sectors that support human capital development and uh, sustainable economic development. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, one thing that, that uh, I grew up, I learned in Israel was really having gratitude for what we have, understanding that there is a meaning to this world, there's a meaning to our existence, and we have a purpose to create, to do tikkun olam, as they say here to make the world a better place. And I, I find that besides being creative, there's a lot of passionate and purposeful people in Israel. And it's a very small country. So you can't just make money by digging for minerals here or you know, working with each other. We have to be outward facing. 
we have to utilize our creativity and our mind to create value, which is what we've succeeded in doing. And if there's any place for Israel to look to have positive impact, it's to Africa today. Africa today is 1.3 billion people. It's going to be within 30 years. By 2050, it's going to have over 2.5 billion people. One in four people in the world are going to be living in Africa in our children's time. By 2100, they're expecting to have over 4 billion people in Africa. 40% of the human race is me living in Africa on our border. Are these people going to, these people in Africa, going to continue living in isolation? Going to continue to live in extreme poverty? Or do we have a unique role today and 2020 to really change and form the future that we want to live in? And I think Israel has an amazing opportunity to now take a leadership role on that front. And we are excited that many companies have been interested here in Israel and have been joining us on trips to Africa. And this is just the beginning. So I'm excited about it. It's great to be I'm based excited. out of, out of Israel. Ezzy Rappaport, this has been amazing. Uh, this is In the Blue Corner, the podcast of the Israel Innovation Fund. And we're talking with Ezzy Rappaport, who's the founder CEO of Empower Africa, an amazing, incredible company. Uh, connecting the world, networking uh, with African businesses and helping build that continent and, and specifically also in Sierra Leone through business. It's not a nonprofit. And we're thrilled. We're really, really glad. It's been a lot of fun. Absolute pleasure. I'm David Hazoni, Executive Director of the Israel Innovation Fund with Adam Scott Bellows, the founder and CEO of the Israel Innovation Fund. As Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Pleasure.